Hello and welcome to another Tuesday bonus edition of the Scottish Independence Podcast. This week, continuing our series on autumn conference speeches, this is Alex Salmond, leader of the Alipa Party. Friends, delegates, there's a, a question hanging over Scotland, Scottish politics at the present moment, which can best be expressed as this. In Ireland, right back to the, the days of the liberator, Daniel O'Connell, there was a saying that England's difficulty was Ireland's opportunity. England's difficulties were Ireland's opportunity. That being the case, then why isn't the current, ongoing, complete implosion of Westminster governance Scotland's opportunity to strike for independence? few days we've witnessed something extraordinary in politics. The total collapse of the authority of the British government. They look simply ridiculous. The administration of Liz Truss is surreal, but the consequences are very real. Soaring inflation, sterling through the floor, interest rates through the roof, and the real consequences bearing down on real people. And the British alternative to this mess is the Labour Party, a party so desperate to be respectable that its leader won't allow its MPs onto the picket lines of workers striving to protect their jobs and livelihoods. Labour is not an alternative to the Tories, but a substitute. There was a, an interview just the other day with uh, Andrew Marr and the English historian Max Hastings, when Hastings was bemoaning the fact that Britain now looked really absurd in the eyes of the world. He was then asked about Sir Keir Starmer. Ah, amused Hastings. I just wish he was older. Friends, when the guy who edited the Daily Telegraph for 10 years tells the Labour Party they're not radical enough then we can safely conclude that the British ruling classes will be safe in the hands of Sir Keir Starmer. <laughs> Harold Wilson once said that the Labour Party were a moral crusade or they were nothing. Well, it's certainly no moral crusade and it offers nothing for Scotland. Heartless, hopeless, inept, embarrassing. A description of Liz Truss's government, certainly, but also, unfortunately, an accurate description of the events in the Supreme Court of this week. You know, friends, if Alba had not been founded last year, we'd have to invent it this year. That's the only conclusion from these farcical proceedings. It's only political progress by Alba which can prevent them becoming not just farce, but tragedy for Scotland. Let's examine what's at stake here. For a quarter of a century, the national movement in Scotland, led by the SNP, proceeded down the path of gradualism. The strategy, one of uh, reconvening, securing the reconvening of our parliament, winning a majority in that parliament, securing an independence decision from that secure platform, succeeded becoming the, the wildest hopes of those who promoted it, including myself. The Parliament was secured in 1999 against the expectations of many. The majority government was won in 2011 against the forecasts of just about everyone. 
and a referendum was secured in 2014 to general astonishment. The government which I led only needed one mandate to secure an independence referendum. <laughs> now, we, we lost the referendum, but Scotland was changed as a result of the process, changed in its attitude to independence. And the route to revisit the question by majority in the Scots Parliament seems secure. Indeed, in the aftermath of 2014, even the Tory party accepted that position. All of these historic gains have been frittered away over the last eight years until the denouement in Middlesex Guild Hall, two minutes' walk from the Palace of Westminster. Now, I don't claim, as many do, to know the result of the proceedings. Indeed, at times, watching the court proceedings, I thought the English judges on the panel were beginning to feel sorry for the Scottish case. Uh, and Mr. Eady, the Treasury Council, came across as just a bit too smooth and a bit too arrogant even for the English judicial palate. However, if against all expectations the Scottish case was to prevail, what exactly would it be won? The right to conduct a poll which, according to the Lord Advocate's own submissions, rested on the argument it would have no practical effect. It would be a glorified opinion poll, not an exercise in Scottish sovereignty. That's the narrow ground of victory on which the Scottish Government has staked so much. And what is to be lost if the court rules against Scotland? If it closes off the referendum route through the Parliament without Westminster's prior agreement? Not only would it stop this First Minister and this Lord Advocate from venturing down this path, it stops any First Minister, any Lord Advocate, even one who believed in the case, from proceeding on that basis. Indeed, it would stop any Scottish Minister introducing such a bill in good faith as say advised by, well, Joanna Cherry KC or Aidan O'Neill KC from going forward or any backbencher prepared to put Scotland's cause in Parliament going where their own government fears to tread. People sometimes ask me, what practical benefit would there be if Alapa had been successful in our argument last year about an independent supermajority? What would have happened if Eva Comrie or Tasmina Ahmed Sheikh or Chris McElhenney had been elected to the Scottish Parliament? Well, for one thing, right now, would be an Alba Independence Referendum Bill in the Scots Parliament unencumbered by the Lord Advocate's self-imposed veto. Because if you're going to court, then your chances will be infinitely higher if you go armed with a bill passed by a democratic parliament with a democratic mandate. Now, the Lord Advocate has come in for some criticism over the last few days. Let me say, I don't join that. She was asked to present a case in which she clearly stated she had no confidence. The responsibility lies with those who put her in that position. I mean, after all, it may have been a, a reasonable question to ask before she was appointed to a role as a government minister and advisor. A conversation might have run as follows. Excuse me, candidate for Lord Advocate. What is your view on the legality of the centrepiece of the election manifesto, the election which we have just won overwhelmingly? That might have been a reasonable question to ask. 
Because you see, friends, in the Supreme Court last week, not a sentence was uttered on Scotland's rights as a nation. Not a, a paragraph on the, the golden thread of Scots history where Scotland's claim of right has been articulated for 700 years. Not a word on how it's compatible with international law from the United Nations Charter to the Helsinki Accords to the rights of freedom of expression in the Strasbourg Courts. And particularly that's astonishing since the sponsor of the legislation, the late Donald Dewar himself, signed such an undertaking to Scottish sovereignty in 1989 and committed to himself to it again in the passage of the Scotland Bill and Parliamentary Exchanges with yours truly. Now, of course, the SNP did put some of this, not all of it, but some of these points in a written submission. But it was not heard by the court. If these arguments are as important, as vital, as compelling, as any Scottish nationalist or even any self-respecting Scot would think, then why were they not part, indeed, point number one of the Lord Advocate's submission? And why was there no SMP fanfare about the case? I think there was one SMP MP outside the court with a banner questioning the competence of the court his own government had chosen to approach. The answer is they were embarrassed by the paucity of the submission before the court. Having taken Scotland's case and Scotland's cause to the UK Supreme Court, they let it go by default. In short, the First Minister went to the wrong court with the wrong argument at the wrong time, and Scotland's rights as a nation could be the loser. So what's Alba going to do about it? Well, firstly, we've commissioned uh, an opinion from one of Scotland's top cases on the real legal basis of Scotland's right of self-determination. A case that we'll have ready to take to whatever court when it's required, domestic and international domestic and international. And the case we shall take to the people. Because the second action is in the field of politics. After a year and a half in existence, I'll have about 4% in polls. Can we get to 6% by the next Scottish elections and win seats? Certainly. Can we get to 14% and win lots of seats? Probably. Could we get to 40% and transform Scottish politics? Well, perhaps in one set of circumstances. If the party which has been entrusted with leading the charge for sovereignty completely drops the baton and refuses to move forward. And you can be sure that any hint of success for Alba elected uh, in uh, elections, so the SNP elected representatives will suddenly rediscover their enthusiasm for independence. And that's important, friends. Now, many years ago, I and others uh, embarked on a campaign uh, to replace Labour as the, the leading party of Scotland. We knew it was a, a long-term project, but we also knew that with any sign of progress by the SNP, Labour would suddenly restart the long, dormant campaign for a Scottish parliament. And we knew that would be valuable for Scotland. So it was with Labour and the SNP then. So it is with the SNP and ALAPA now. <laughs> now 
in the meantime, delegates, we have the, the third leg of the First Minister's strategy, the plebiscite election. The first two legs were firstly to the campaign to tell Westminster that Scotland wouldn't stand for refusing a referendum. That's the campaign. If you blinked, you missed it. The second was the Supreme Court debacle. And now there is the third, the, the plebiscite election. If it's to have any effect, and not just a meaningless ploy, then such an election would have to be special. Firstly, it should be said that a Westminster poll is not ideal. The franchise would exclude 16 to 17-year-olds and many of our friends in the New Scots community. Indeed, in a, a poll released today, shows that independence and the union are effectively tied. But it shows among New Scots, people born out with the UK are the most likely to vote yes by a resounding 57% to 43%. Some of that success, friends, is due to the outstanding work of Scots Asians for Alapa and African Scots for Alapa, and they have our thanks. Now, the National Movement Scotland should be proud of that thing. But remember, it's some of these independent supporters who would be excluded from voting in a Westminster election. To have any chance of success, a plebiscite election would have to be thought on a Scotland United ticket on the single issue of Scotland's right to independence. Fight it as a, a normal party election would mean the SNP would spend all of its time explaining why they can't run a census, why they can't build ferries, or about the state of the National Health Service. It would be about the capabilities of the current SNP Greener government, not the potential of Scotland as an independent nation. Last year we, we tried to explain to the benefit to Scotland of replacing unionist list MSPs with independent supporting MSPs. It would have hugely strengthened Scotland's hand in current circumstances. Now we say, if you're seeking an independence mandate at an election, then fight it as Scotland United to maximise Scotland's chances. But of course, there already are four mandates for a referendum. What Scotland needs most of all is the political resolve to press the issue now. We're told that we, we can't have a referendum because the Tories say no. Ah, now I see what's stopping us. It's the mighty political power of Liz Truss. That colossus of the Westminster scene is the person stopping Scotland's right of self-determination. Delegates, let's introduce reality. A puff of wind would blow over the Westminster government. The only job safe in Downing Street right now is Larry the Cat. Who, uh, who might get moved to the Treasury at any minute. What we need is parliamentary action. Touch of that displayed by Neil and Penny this past summer. So what did that one day of parliamentary intervention achieve apart from 
giving the Speaker of the House a comments after Brexit. Certainly, of course, the, the impact is time limited. But let's imagine, just let's say, it was happening every day, with every nationalist MP taking part. With a determined band of 50, you could bring Westminster to a halt until Scotland's democratic rights were recognised. That's the reality. And I believe that Scotland should play Parnell with Westminster until our rights as a nation are accepted. That parliamentary initiative has to be backed by popular action. Nothing works unless the popular will is there and demonstrated. When 100,000 people rallied in the streets of Glasgow, SNP ministers looked down their noses at their efforts. In contrast, ARPA will always encourage and support cross-party and non-party initiatives from the people who proclaim Scotland's sovereignty. It was that popular assertion is required, so badly needed. And finally, Scotland's elected representatives. What are they doing when our country is laid to waste? Right now, they should be meeting at a convention to assert Scotland's rights to the world, our claim of right to the world. I know some good people believe that the claim of right is a particular document at a particular time. It isn't. It's many documents, many letters, many declarations, many conventions over the centuries. It's a golden thread of Scottish history back, stretching back over 700 years. And it can be summed up in two simple sentences. One, Scotland is a nation. And two, the people of that nation are sovereign. Stewards of that sovereignty don't lie in the Supreme Court in London, or with the King and Parliament in the Palace of Westminster. It lies directly through the people of Scotland's elected representatives. They are its stewards, and they must now exercise that right, that responsibility in conjunction with the community of Scotland. And we'd have every prospect of success, which is why they must be encouraged to honour their mandates. And no one would be more enthused than Alipa if the SNP now acted on independence. But what happens if they don't? Well, friends, the answer lies in the first declaration of more than 700 years ago. But after pledging full allegiance, admiration, loyalty to their hero king, good king Robert, the community of the realm goes on in these terms. Yet if he should give up what he has begun, Seeking to make us or our kingdom subject to the King of England or the English, we would exert ourselves at once to drive him out as our enemy and a subverter of his own rights and ours, and make some other man who was better able to defend us our king. But as long as one hundred of us remain alive, never we, on any condition, will be subjected to the lordship of the English. It is in truth not for glory, nor riches, nor honours that we are fighting. 
But for freedom alone, which no honest man gives up, but with life itself. Delegates, that simple statement, resounding through history, was Europeans, the Europeans' first ever statement of contractual self-governance beyond the, the feudal superstructure. It is the first articulation of popular sovereignty. It's at the heart of our nation. It's the essence not just of our party but of our country and still the foundation stone of our right to be free. <laughs> Delegates, uh, we are 18 months old uh, as a political party, just 18 months old. But look uh, and be proud of what we've already contributed to the debate on Scotland's independence. We have published and distributed 100,000 copies of the We Are Up A Boot and held 40 public meetings around Scotland to promote it. I've enjoyed just about everyone. Well, today, friends, we commit to 100,000 more of a new edition for the new year. In that book, we updated, we articulated the new case for independence for 2022 and beyond. I've spent much of this speech dealing with independence strategy because unless we have it, then our case will wither on the vine. But equally vital is the why of independence, the practical moves which make independence workable and beneficial to our fellow Scots, the vision of a, a fair and prosperous society which makes the pursuit of independence worthwhile. In the way out of the book, we explain why joining the European Free Trade Association is the way forward for Scotland. Recently, Arapa visited the EFTA Secretariat to confirm that such membership would be speedy and suitable for Scotland. It doesn't matter if you think the European Union is the devil incarnate or the best thing since sliced bread. The five-year timescale for joining it makes it of little practical use in Scotland when independence negotiations will last 18 months to two years. In the wee Alpha book, we explain how to set up your own currency and how quickly to assume its responsibilities. Despite everything that's happened since 2014, the SNP clings to old answers. In the wee Alpha book, we explain why borders are nothing to be frightened of if you have a plan. The relative economic success of Northern Ireland demonstrates that open trade with the whole of Europe is more important than an administrative border for goods in these islands. Recently, uh, an ALPA delegation visited the World Trade Organization to ascertain how Scotland can secure its position in trading terms during these negotiations. We received a, a warm welcome, sound advice on how to proceed in one piece of devastating information. The SNP government have never even visited them. Why not? Don't they understand that if we're going to provide for being successful in a referendum, you put yourself in a position of independence negotiations, where you have to have an immediate safe anchorage like EFTA, you have to know your trade deals are intact, and you have to have a timescale for delivering our own currency. These things are essential to the success of independence. In short, you have to have the answers. In six years since Brexit, the SMB have been paralysed on the independence case, where the world has moved on. In the 18 months uh, since Alapa was founded, we provided key answers to the big questions where the SNP with its 300 staffers 
or more, look on. I'll have to explain why the, the economic and social future of Scotland is bound up in renewable energy and the necessity of making that wealth flow to the people through a public energy company. That's a key message to a people who've been condemned to, to fuel poverty in this land of energy plenty. Our ideas have been copied by Keir Starmer. And the SNP have given away chunks of Scotland's riches in the disgraceful Scotland auction. Scotland, after 50 years, half a century, of the ransacking of Scotland's oil wealth by Westminster governments and international capital, surely the lesson has been learned. Scotland's renewable resources must belong to the Scottish people. Last year, delegates, uh, Alipa explained that notwithstanding the high regard in which the late Queen Elizabeth was held, and I personally held her in the highest regard, it's now time to consider our democratic options for a new nation. Does anyone in the national movement seriously say that we should build the modern constitution of a new Scotland on hereditary monarchy and enshrine the succession of King Charles and a new King Billy? The foundation of the state is the foundation of the state and that constitution which will determine whether this country is going to be both equal and free. Now this year, Alpha proudly stands as a party who speaks up consistently against illegal invasions, which is why we condemned the Russian invasion of Ukraine. We were also a party which promotes the cause of peace. We live in a Europe where war is raging with the threat of uncontrollable escalation. And yet the only strong leadership voices for peace and negotiation have been Pope Francis and President Erdogan of Turkey. Our Western European economies are being wrecked by spiraling energy costs. Turkey, through patient negotiations in July, got the Ukrainian grain crop flowing through the Bosphorus Straits. Designed to help ease global food prices by increasing supply, that pact has been the only diplomatic breakthrough in eight long months of war. Did you hear the UK mainstream media talking about this diplomatic initiative, which has been spent many less people starving across the world? Not a bit of it. They're too busy salivating over the war to talk about the prospects for peace and negotiation. Since the 1960s, the national movement of Scotland has derived much of its moral force, not just to, from the removal of weapons of mass destruction from Scotland's waters, but exercising from Scotland the destructive mentality which they represent. Alapa, Scotland, must always stay true to the path of peace as well as unilateral nuclear disarmament. The delegates say the last few weeks have removed for all time the image, the presentation of Britain as a powerful, stable state. Britain is an economic and political basket case. It's a giant liner steaming full speed towards the ice floe. And Scotland needs to launch the independence lifeboats right now. But Arab as a party, we've earned our 
right to contribute to this national debate. We've earned our spurs, and we'll seek to demonstrate that in the field of elections. Our local candidates in Glasgow and West Lothian will carry the support of the entire party. There's someone, I can't remember quite who, said recently, and I think complacently, that time was on the side of the national movement. It isn't. If we continue to, to miss the wide open goals of the last few years, we shall never be forgiven by future generations. If we allow our people to shiver in their homes with fuel poverty in this land of energy plenty, we shall not be forgiven by this generation. Instead, let's have a different prospect. Let's seize the moments of Britain's crisis for the opportunity to claim our right of independence. The people can look to Arapa for urgency on independence, for a strategy to take us there, to keep hope alive, and above all for an exemplar in our actions of this day, how Scotland can secure a new country for tomorrow. And that completes our mini-series of conference speeches. And if you missed any of the series, you can get them all on our website, podcasts.independencelive.net. Thanks for listening. Bye now.